0: You're listening to Byzantine Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture in collaboration with the Melkite Eparchy of Newton. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and director of the Institute and host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and into ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, a treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. Let's jump right in here to the gospel for the 13th Sunday after the Holy Cross, which comes to us here from luke chapter 18 and welcome back deacon daniel dozier with us hey deacon how you doing
1: i'm doing well father how are you
0: good nice to have you with us again we're going to look at luke chapter 18 everybody get out your bible there you go don't give me a cell phone business when the real thing i had a great quote here from saint john chrysostom over here somewhere i'll see if i can find it along the oh, this this might be it listen to this the Holy Scriptures were not given to us that we should enclose them in books, but that we should engrave them upon our
1: hearts. Isn't that nice? I yeah. love them. No, it's great. Always look so, for that wisdom from St. John Chrysostom. What's that? Always look for that, that great wisdom about the Bible from St. John Chrysostom. You know, there's those guys that are just quotable. <laughs> just right. like everything came out of their mouth. Well,
0: exactly. Yeah. So here you go. Luke chapter 18. We're looking at starting with verse 18 through verse 27. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father, and your mother. And he said, all these I have observed since my youth. And when Jesus heard it, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was a very rich. For he was very rich, and Jesus, looking at him, said, "How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God! For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God." Those who heard it said, "Then who can be saved?" But he said, "What is impossible for men is possible with God." This is a, a very famous teaching here of Jesus. There's much to say about it, including this eye of the, the needle business and the camel and everything. But go ahead and situate this gospel. You know, I'll tell you, Deacon, that I've I heard this gospel so many times. But it's only when you sit down and really look at it in its context of where this happens in the gospel story. Right. that It starts to make sense why Jesus is kind of almost he's, he's almost playing with the guy because he knows this guy's been around. He's seen what he's what he's been doing. And there's a problem. So, But go ahead and situate it in the gospel text for us.
1: Yeah, so so this uh, particular teaching comes as, again, we're, we're still in that process of Jesus making his way, kind of his campaign, if you will, his messianic campaign, on the way to the holy, the holy royal city of Jerusalem. So Jesus is on his way there. And he's got the multitudes with him, the thousands of people all around him. And so he is about to give. This is just prior to him giving that teaching about, and and foretelling his own death and resurrection in the Holy City. Uh, So uh, we have a a number of times where Jesus makes specific mention of his upcoming passion and death and uh, his glorious resurrection that will occur in Jerusalem as he's making his way on this pilgrimage. And this rich ruler comes to him. No doubt he's been part of this multitude. He's been following along uh, with with the, the signs and the teachings that Jesus has been performing. And he asks him this question about entering the kingdom of God, about eternal life, essentially. Uh, Now, what's important about this particular passage is that we should read at least, just like in regular practice, we try to read a few verses beforehand and a few verses afterwards. So I think it gives us a little bit more context for for what Jesus is teaching. So if we go back to that uh, chapter 18, but then go up just a couple of verses to verse 15, where we have Jesus blessing the children. This is also a very famous story, a very famous passage. And you see a lot of uh, wonderful icons and pictures of this. It goes, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And what's interesting about this particular passage is this idea of entering the kingdom of God. This is one of the themes of Jesus' teaching. And so on the one hand, we have this story of bringing even infants to uh, Jesus to place his hands on them and to and to bless them we can think even about our own eastern tradition a byzantine tradition of bringing infants up to holy communion to receive and some people look and say my goodness you have infants going to communion well yes because such is the kingdom of god so they come in and they receive our lord body and blood soul and divinity in in holy communion in the with with the gifts so so our Lord is teaching his apostles, his disciples, who are trying to prevent these infants from coming to the Lord to disturb him. And he says, no, no, you, you you, need to become like a child. So you who would prevent these children need to become like a child in order to enter the kingdom of God. Well, he's going to do something similar then with the rich ruler, uh, who also asks about this entrance into the kingdom of God. Uh, now, the kingdom of God is really a reference to eternal life it's this reference to the coming kingdom, the Davidic kingdom that would be established by the Messiah that would really represent God and humanity living together and uh, all the wealth and and a lot of the worldly goods, at least in the Jewish mind at that time, uh, would be the, the restoration of the glory of the ancient kingdom. And so there's a certain measure of expectation about what that might mean. Does that mean glory in terms of earthly glory or glory in terms of heavenly glory? Well, clearly there's... A difference in view on what kind of glorious kingdom would come, this rich man probably has the attitude that was very common at the time it would be full of earthly glory and wealth. Our Lord has another view of the kingdom, and then he's going to challenge him on on this particular view and you
0: know just just to jump in there i mean as this, as the story kind of kind of continues on here this, imme- immediately there's this back and forth this kind of dialogue that happens regarding Jesus as the good teacher, and it probably you know, Jehovah's Witness, for example, is going to read, see, Jesus isn't divine because he, he himself says that only God is good. And he's not. But I think there must be something else here, and this is the reason why we do these studies, is that by play, by understanding where this is taking place in the gospel story, Jesus has just finished his his uh, Galilean ministry, right? He's, mm-hmm. he's on his way to the cross, ultimately. Right. And he's got, as you've said in the weeks past, he's got this multitude of people that are surrounding him, and there's camps all around him, right? He's just—he's—he's he's in the midst. He's just given his his uh, his parables and things like that. And he's teaching his closest friends, having them observe what's going on. And they have got the Pharisees over there, the Sadducees over there, and they've got this guy. And the pro—the uh, fundamental problem is that half these guys have seen what he's done, right? They've seen the multiplication of those of fish. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him all this stuff, driving out the demons. And yet they haven't come to faith. And I, I just, it just seems to me that something in this dialogue, and I, you maybe have a different perspective, I don't know, but some of this dialogue seems to indicate to me that Jesus is like, why are you calling me good if you really don't believe?
1: Hmm. Yes, well, and I think that's that's really true, in, in part because I think it has to do with this expectation of what the kingdom was going to be about and what the hmm. Messiah was going to be about, right? The Messiah was, right. uh, according to a, a lot of the Jews at that time, they had a very earthbound... Uh, view of what the kingdom of God was going to be. It was going to be a restoration of the glories of ancient Israel. And, and we'd have a new uh, son of David on the throne, which meant what? It meant more wealth, more pleasure, more power, you know, all the, all the glorious things that would be there. They would stand out among the nations, you know, and it was more of a matter of pride. Whereas, you know, Jesus's view of the kingdom it comes with a different sense of power and wealth. It's the richness of the kingdom, uh, the richness of God's grace and his mercy that's going to really define the characteristics of, of this kingdom. That's going to be heaven and earth brought together, together in himself. The, the way to enter into the kingdom is going to be, one, a path of humility uh, and secondly, a path of faith. I mean, that means faith in Jesus's own divinity, that he is truly the Son of God, not just the Son of David, he is the Son of God. It's not that it's not true, it's just, but isn't there more to be said? And is he willing to go beyond that just to affirm not just the fact that he is good, but that he is also God? And so Jesus phrase, the phrasing there, you know, why do you call me good? Only God is good. You know, God alone is good is almost a, a certain in a way, kind of teasing him to uh, to think differently or to have a different perspective on who Jesus is beyond just uh, a good teacher or even you know a good Messiah.
0: And it helps us understand also the dialogue that now kind of
1: continues and will
0: ultimately cultivate the quest, cultivate in the or culminate in the in the question of of, of money, right? Because well, here this guy is attached to all his worldly things and Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And there's going to be a the the roads are going to split, right? He's going to either go with Jesus to the cross, as or he's going to go the way with everybody else. The Lord doesn't go immediately to the question of of the money. He
1: goes and he starts naming off the commandments, right? That's right, because he says, "Good teacher, what what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what shall I do to enter the kingdom? Uh, This kingdom that I know is is coming. I can't wait to be a part of it." He's almost speaking to him in a matter of respect, like like almost like he's a ruler too. And so maybe he can partake somehow in this. What must I do to inherit this, this eternal kingdom? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Well, what is Jesus doing there? Well, he is referencing the standard of holiness at that time when it, when it came to uh, a Jewish standards, standards of holiness, which is to go back to the Torah and to go back to what we call the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And in that particular moment, he is referencing those commandments that specifically speak to the law of charity towards neighbor. So, you know, the two tablets, the, two commandment, or the Ten Commandments, you know, one side is all about love of God. The other side is about love of neighbor. And so Jesus is focusing in on that aspect of, of love of neighbor, uh, by mentioning those commandments. And the man, in thinking about the standard of holiness, sees that I measure up to that. You know, yes, everything you're saying, good teacher, I, I actually, yes, I've done that since my youth. I fulfilled all those commandments since my youth. But Jesus is pointing out this part of the Decalogue for a reason, because, because where he lacks the most is in his attachment to wealth and his unwillingness to share that wealth with others to help others to participate through charity in the good fruits of his of his own labor. And this this is an outlook that, of course, what Jesus is asking him to do, and what we'll see in just a moment, is not anything that any rabbi would ever ask a normal disciple. This is something quite above and beyond. Mm-hmm. This is where I think Jesus is unique in that he is not only the good teacher, he's not only the son of God, he's also the divine physician. And so as a divine physician, he diagnoses the sickness in this man's soul, which is his attachment to earthly goods. You know, his prescription is going to be different.
0: So glad you took us up to this. This this back and forth in verse 15 through 17 about the children. Cause now this guy goes and he says, look, it's almost like, since I was like them over there, these little kids, you know, I want to just tie this in now, just as we're about to kind of get to the, the, the culminating point of the discussion here that, you know, every divine liturgy we begin blessed is the kingdom Mm -hmm. blessed Mm -hmm. is the kingdom of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and and when we do that and we say amen we intentionally place Mm -hmm. ourselves within his kingdom right and according to his the of course the king is the one that sets the rules the laws of the kingdom right and so when we're when we're reading this this dialogue that jesus has with this man we very much should be reading ourselves into this story because every every sunday we come to church it's not enough to just you know he's got the, he's got his commands there right? he's got his obligations Boom, right. he's checked off his boxes but yes. now jesus is going to take it to another level and he's mm-hmm. going to take it to another level for him and for all of us who are in a sense journeying with jesus to jerusalem right we're, we're, we're on our pilgrimage of faith and he's going to ask us a question are we willing to bring our whole selves to the right. work of the lord and this, this, this opens up a whole nev- another level of discipleship, a whole nother level that says, you know what? Yeah, you may get to church every Sunday, mm-hmm. but is your heart there? Yes. The Lord wants more than just our obligations. He, he, wants, he wants our heart. He wants a relationship with us. And that's ultimately, like you're saying, this is the divine physician. This guy walks up to him and Jesus knows what he's been talking about. He knows mm-hmm. what's going on in his life. He's and he's able to discern what, where this person is and how he's going to get them to grow. It's the same with us when we enter into that divine liturgy and we say Amen. Right. And what a powerful word that is because we we do so intentionally before God, and we have that question: Are we truly going willing to live as citizens of His kingdom? And now He's going to He's gonna see, show us what that
1: looks like. That's right. That's right. And and the the beauty of it is to be part of the kingdom doesn't necessarily mean that we're somehow lost as like one number among many uh the lord knows our name i that's one of the things i think i appreciate so much about the byzantine tradition in terms of how we bestow the mysteries or give the mysteries to others we we do it by their name and so our lord knows the man the name of of this rich man uh he knows exactly where he's been he knows what his thoughts are and he sees him not just as one among a multitude but he sees him in his own uniqueness and he and he probably this man could have been probably one of the greatest disciples. You never know if he had only responded to this moment of grace, this moment of calling. And so our Lord calls to him, and he's going to, in a sense, give him a penance. You know, so just as when we, when we go to, to confession, we, we enter into the mystery of repentance, there's a, there's, a, there's a penance that we might be assigned in order to help kind of restore us uh, and, and enter into the kind of the to continue to cultivate the grace that's been given to us through repentance To deepen it. And so our Lord asks something very specific of him that is really only unique to him in that moment. And what he says, he says, one thing you still lack. He said, sell all you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Again, this is not something that was commonly asked uh, by rabbis to, to disciples to go and radically give everything to the poor. But because of this man's attachment, the attachment of his soul, His soul, just like the apostles were impeding the infants and the children from coming to the Lord, his soul was, in his his attachment to wealth, it was impeding his soul from coming into the presence uh, of the Lord and entering into the kingdom. And so he had to address it somehow. And the way to do it was, first and foremost, engage in a commercial enterprise and sell all your goods. And then take those profits that you make, and what are you going to do with it? You're going to give them freely to those who need them. And then you're going to inherit what? Treasure in heaven and then you're gonna come and follow me. And so this prescription, again, it's unique to him, but of course, it could apply to, to many people. And actually, if you think about the lives of the saints and how they have lived their life, many of them you know, giving up great wealth, St. Nicholas being our, the great example we highlight in, in the Byzantine tradition, right? St. Nicholas had great wealth uh, and gave it away out of charity, and, and of course, we're entering now into this season of Advent of St. Philip's fast in order to prepare to receive the Christ child. And we do honor St. Nicholas as one of the saints, one of the many saints during this this festival or the, this anticipatory time of the feast. He's a great model of someone who gave it all up. But of course, he, he, for him, it wasn't because he was too attached. He just felt a divine calling. But many saints have given it up because of this attachment, and it has been for their own salvation as a result.
0: Now, Deacon, Jesus now turns this conversation Give us one of his classic examples, okay? Where he begins talking about the, the the eye of the needle and the camel and so forth, and the rich man, and uh-huh. the and then the power, concluding with the power of God. Right? A man can try as much as he wants. Exactly it's only right. by the power of God. So let's let's dig at this a little bit.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. So, so what we see in terms of the response of this man is that he goes away sad because he had many possessions, and so this becomes, you know, our Lord looking at him. It becomes a teaching moment for us, for his disciples, mm-hmm. uh, because quite frankly, you know, it may not be well for us. It may be other sins or other attachments that we need to be thinking about in terms of what we might offer in sacrifice in order to come and follow Christ faithfully. In this case, it's wealth. And so Jesus makes a statement here about his attachment to wealth when he says, for it is easier for a camel, or excuse me, he says, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So this statement to go through the eye of a needle, there have been different interpretations. of This particular statement, one could be just a very common understanding of a large object going through a smaller portal. In fact, in, in Babylonia, the, the, the rabbis would have a, have a phrase. It's easier for an elephant to go through the eye of a needle because at that particular location, elephants were the largest animal around. Now, of course, in, in this particular uh, part of the world, in Palestine, you didn't really see elephants. Camels were the most common larger animal, so so it could be certainly uh, making a, a common reference to something that one might see every day with a, a small needle, a sewing needle, and a large object going through it. But you know that's that's certainly one interpretation. Father, you had you had mentioned one that you had also. Uh, uh, yeah, I some, mean some I
0: ultimately, mentioned. I mean the, the ult- most important thing here is exactly what you're saying. It's like this 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 challenging entrance into the kingdom and it's only by the power of god as we say by the grace of god not by our own doing but by the gift of god's life within us that we are empowered to to enter into his kingdom to be divinized to be called children of god to partake of the divine nature there is in a number of ancient cities jerusalem is the one that's coming to my mind right now i'm going to share a a slide i'm going to describe Mm to you what this is now okay this is the ancient wall that surrounded the city at the time of christ they've dug it up it's underneath the russian orthodox monastery in jerusalem Mm -hmm. you'll notice this spot here this is the actual gate Opening of the wall and you can see right there in the middle if you go there to visit today a little spot where the The pin of the gate the the the, the post of the gate in the center came down and they locked it closed This would be this gate would have been closed at nighttime And so that anyone coming to the city at night would have to enter through this little passage and you can you can see I just had had it up there this guy walking through right I'm in through I've been through that spot it's a beautiful spot because this this gate is the, uh, it's right outside the, the church of the Anastasis, the church of the resurrection where Jesus was, which contains also the place of, of Golgotha, the place of the crucifixion. So right. this was the gate Jesus would have had to walk through in order to, 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 to leave the city. It's, it's called popularly the gate of final appeal that up to this point, anyone could have appealed to the, to Rome, to the powers that be to stop what was taking place. But they didn't, and Jesus passed through this gate and then was crucified. It's only uh, you know a couple hundred yards from here where the place of the crucifixion is. But here is is what some people have believed to be the Eye of the Needle. It, it's interesting. You can't even go through there if you have a backpack on. You got to yeah. take your backpack off. You got to take all the stuff off, and only then can you enter into into right. the city or into the kingdom. But you know, as you said, the 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 most important thing here is this this thing about. The power of god and am i open to that as we begin the liturgy blessed is the kingdom and we we seek to enter into that kingdom no matter how hard we try ultimately we're going to fall short of living the life of holiness it's only by his grace that it's possible to begin to live the life which saint paul says no longer i who live but it is christ who lives in me
1: that's Um, right you
0: know as as we come, I'm sorry, if you want to jump in, go ahead. No,
1: well, the only thing I would, I would offer to that is, you know, it, you know, there is this question that the apostles ask: well, who can be saved? You know, who is it that can be saved? And, uh, you know, this question should be one that we reflect on frequently, especially during our fasting periods, like we are in now with uh, St. Philip's oh. fast. Is who can be saved? Because we all, we all have attachments, you know, whatever it might be, there is some principal area of our life which we haven't, given over to the Lord you know For for some people maybe it's a struggle with pornography you know maybe it's a struggle with some type of addiction that is really just captured them and it's keeping them from experiencing the fullness of the grace of the kingdom how can we be saved from that well it's the power of God and yet we also engage in things that are normal and the church us to during this time the fasting the works of mercy uh, the prayer the acts of repentance Maybe we're also incorporating iconography and gazing at holy images. Maybe it's an uh, an attachment to pride. Maybe it's uh, our our career, whatever it happens to be. This is the time to sort of unshackle ourselves from these attachments in order to fully attach ourselves to our Lord whose kingdom is coming and continues to come in the divine liturgy. So I think that question, who then can be saved, and the answer by the power of God, with God, all things are possible. That, I think, is the response that we need to reflect on uh, during this, this holy season in preparation for the Nativity.
0: As we continue our journey now towards the Feast of the Nativity, you know, um, this idea of, uh, of, of kind of detachment from the things. So it's such a good idea to go to Holy Confession at this time. Yes. And, you know, you may say, you know, Father, I just, it's always the same sins. Some, some of you may have known Father Joseph Francovilla, who just reposed in the Lord. I would go to him oftentimes in confession, you know, and and revealing my sins, you know, and he was my spiritual father. It was the same sins, and he would say, he say, "Oh, thank God," and I and I said, "What do you think thank God?" said, <laughs> he says, "Thank God, you didn't invent any new sins." <laughs> so, so uh, you know, it's it, this uh, as you were saying, Jesus is our divine physician yeah and the physician doesn't go in there and start hacking off limbs and we wish he sometimes he would but he's going to kill the patient right so 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 the lord is patient he's going to work on us over time as long as we come to the divine physician and are willing to be worked on and so so i encourage you and i know deacon you do the same it's encouraging go to holy confession make this journey as we hear this this gospel passage today lord to allow me to detach from these things and distractions so i can focus upon one thing necessary and that is my relationship with you absolutely to christ our god be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages Amen. thank you for joining us for the institute of catholic culture's byzantine gospel reflections podcast the institute of catholic culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.